0: Welcome to the show. Today we have a very special and amazing guest. I'm so excited to have Amber Hollinger. Amber is a director for the Walt Disney Television and Animation Company and she's been nominated for an outstanding achievement for storyboarding on a TV production from Asifa of Hollywood. Let's welcome Amber to the show. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the show. Hey, Marilyn. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so excited to have you because, um, one, you're a female director, and two, you're so exceptional at what you do. And I just wanted to let our audience know you have worked with, you have such amazing experience working on over 36 properties and collaborations with companies such as Disney, Warner Brothers, Apple TV, Nickelodeon, and the list just goes on. So we're just so excited that you're on the show today.
1: Well, that's really kind. I'm appreciative to be here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And can you just let everyone know where you're recording with us live today?
1: I'm recording live. I'm recording live from my home office in Santa Clarita. The studios are still closed. So normally I would be in Burbank or Hollywood or Glendale, but... It's just all it's a lot of Santa Clarita right now, I have to say. S C V strong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Santa Clarita, you're working from your home office, which um and and how do you like that? Is it a little bit too much at home or is it kind of nice to not be commuting and maybe save you some time to maybe get some exercise in that you normally do <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that probably would be a
1: good idea, but you know, it's a two edged sword. I love not having the commute but it's you know, filmmaking is a very collaborative process. So there's some things that I definitely miss from not having my crew right at my fingertips, being able to go next door into an office and just draw little quick sketches or gather a meeting really quick to download a lot of information. So there's definitely a struggle. It takes a lot of effort for extra communication. I like go overboard on communication and work from home because there's so many things that can slip through the cracks.
0: Oh gosh. Okay. So yeah, that makes sense too. And sometimes zooming, um, is exhausting as well. It gets, uh, uh, do you find it more tiring that when you're zooming a lot?
1: I do. We have a lot of meetings. I think that was my biggest, uh, my biggest difference from going from a storyboard artist years ago to directing is that directing has so many meetings. As a storyboard artist, I would just go in and draw all day. Now there's a lot of meetings, there's a lot of delegating, a lot of organizing. So I'm, I'm getting used to that, still getting used to it.
0: Oh, okay. Well, well we're gonna we're gonna ask you like how it all started and how it all came together for you. But I wanna just ask you, since you um you are working on all these amazing animations for all these fantastic companies, um growing up, did you have a favorite film that you loved?
1: Oh that is such an errant, unfair question for a film nerd. There's so many, but uh you know, Disney's The Little Mermaid princess bride star wars indiana jones rear window naked gun airplane i love the goonies um i think little mermaid for me was the movie that kind of lit my fire for animation i was always a good artist but i always wanted to be a filmmaker and when i saw the little mermaid it kind of clicked oh my gosh that's what i want to do i want to be an artist i want to make Films where I can draw and make film at the same time. I can do everything that I love. I'm going to draw the shit out of everything
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so and um, so you were a little kid. Um, did you go did you go with your family and your sisters and brothers to the movies? Um, Was that was it drive-in or was it the uh, hometown theater? Where did you oh, watch yeah. your movies? I,
1: uh, I grew up in San Luis Obispo. There are drive in since that drive-in is still open i take my kids back every summer to go to the drive-in and they love it it's a big treat for me and our town was pretty small at the time we had one theater with one screen and then we had the drive-in so going to the movies was a very big deal i remember remember seeing empire strike back in the theater i remember seeing indiana jones and the temple of doom in the theater which i was way too young to see that movie and i remember screaming and yelling when that guy goes in the priest goes in and he rips the heart out of that guy's chest it's beating in his hand and he's holding it up and I was like I, no way I run out of the theater nobody's chasing me my mom stays in there I'm all by myself
0: <laughs> what <laughs> so, yeah so, some film that's why yeah it's amazing like all the films I think in um, my day and age like you know we we just we saw all kind of things we probably weren't supposed to see. <laughs> but um I too love the Goonies like just oh my gosh and you guys all know at, at this point that I write children's books so <laughs> so uh Goonies for me was like oh yeah I'm a, a Goonies fan too and like you said Little Mermaid um that was one of the stories that I read. Um, and the kids just loved it so much. And, um, you know,
1: the the Disney version, right? Not the original, the OG version, pretty dark.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm very, I'm very sweet and comedic and my, and my, uh, my story's readings are very comedic and very sweet with a big heart. Uh, Yeah. I, I, I changed the stories, um, a lot. When I read, that's how I invented my own stories. They're like, "Oh, your stories are so cool!" Like I, I I don't know about you, if you babysit a lot, but um, (laughs) I had to read a lot of stories. Three kids. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you have to because do do your kids say like I know that story and like they know the story, but like the kids would would memorize the lines as opposed to learning to read them. So, um, I would change the stories up. I go, what about this page? And because they would just memorize it and they weren't really learning. So I had to trick these super smart kids into learning.
1: Oh, <laughs> fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we're going to ask you, um, so we know your love of these films, which are great. You picked all the best ones. I mean, I love all those Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Oh my gosh. Like amazing. Um, did you have like a favorite Criterion film that just was just a master film that just, you know, blew you away and said that's that's what I'm going to be doing for, you know, going to go do. <laughs> Again, this
1: is this is unusually cruel, Marilyn. <laughs> <These questions. laughs> uh, well, I could say that I don't know a specific movie per se, but Hitchcock, you know, I mean, his criterion collection is massive, Dial M for Murder and Rear Window and Vertigo and North by Northwest, Psycho. I think the thing that dialed me into Hitchcock so much is that he storyboarded all of his films. So it was a way for me to see that I could be a legitimate filmmaker, not just draw cartoons He maps out entire movies. He knew that those movies would work. He knew every cut, every scene transition. He knew where things were, where to edit things out because they weren't working. He knew how to build up to your climax and your resolution. And that was, that was really, really impactful for me. And I really love black and white movies in general. Because they're shot differently from color. And some of the best scene compositions I've ever seen are from the pre color era. I mean, you look at the shots from Casablanca and, um, um, oh shoot, Citizen Kane and and anything by Hitchcock, and even um, fun films like Some Like It Hot got some great scene compositions. I, I feel like even Tarantino borrows a lot from that because his. His compositions are so thoughtful and strong. There's no mistakes whatsoever. But I draw a lot from noir movies. I like kind of dark things. Um, when we're talking about Criterion Collection, Naked Lunch by uh, David Cronenberg was so weirdly satisfying for me. <laughs> you no, know, It's just so weird and different and dark. And so the images there are so interesting and, and everyone, has probably seen and loves charlie chaplin's gold rush um the seven samurai i mean there's so many great it's so hard like i'm sorry that was a crap answer because i gave him 50
0: films and not one well well because we all love films that listen to the podcast and they're on podcasts and it's just amazing like there's so many but there's um some people like you know like you said borrow or get ideas or go that's really great because like um like you said, Albert Hitchcock storyboarded everything before the set, which, you know, I found to be amazing and, um, you know, and his angles. And like you said, the composition, like I love how sometimes those glasses, he looks through the glasses or the the feet, like the stranger in the train, they're just really amazing. And it's great tools for filmmakers or anyone that wants to learn the business is to study from the grades. So I'm going to ask you too, since you're a director, do you have a favorite director? Again, you <laughs> are killing
1: me. <laughs> oh, there's. Oh my gosh! I mean, there, I have to mention some of the canon directors like Spielberg. I mean, ET and Jaws, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then uh, Martin Scorsese: Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas. I'll watch anything that Quentin Tarantino makes. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill. Uh, Pulp Fiction is still one of my top five favorite films. Um, Hitchcock of course as I mentioned but what I really really like or love in a director is I get charged up when I see someone with a strong point of view I love when I see a sequence of shots so perfectly thought out that it manipulates me to feel the way the filmmaker wanted me to feel like I love being manipulated if you're doing your job I will feel whatever you want me to feel so You know if i walked into a movie halfway through and i didn't know who the director was and i could just call out oh wow this is uh oh this is tarantino that kind of strong pov for me is thrilling i will be one of those people i literally watch movies in the theater with my mouth gaped open i will have those i'm the best audience you'll ever want something suspenseful happens or or dramatic happens and i'm like oh you have me. I mean, I just, I get chills when a director is knocking my socks off. And my feet are always cold when I watch a Miyazaki film. I think he should be included in the Criterion Correction uh, Collection and I don't believe that he is. His work is timeless and it's, it's so precise and it's so identifiable. One of the best gifts I've ever gotten was somebody who gave me a book of his storyboards. He's a genius.
0: Oh, that must have been amazing to see the storyboards because um you can learn so much. Um, beautiful. Is there a favorite scene, um, a director scene in a film that just blew your socks off? Again, this is how can you <laughs> pick? What? But you know,
1: I I, I I knew that you were going to ask, as I would just be tripping over myself with all these amazing scenes. You know, because you have, of course, like Jaws. And you got that bi-pack shot that now is emulated throughout time in every movie but because i'm an animation director i'm going to call out an animated film and i'm going to call out something that wasn't the biggest box office hit but i think is super super strong so disney's animated version of move on directed by tony bancroft and barry cook there's a montage sequence in there with donny osmond's version of be a man If I ever have to teach a class, if I ever have to explain the use of a montage sequence and how to do it, this is my go-to thing. I can, it is literally a class in and of itself. It is the perfect use of a montage sequence, which is to inform your audience about story porn. Things that are happening over a span of time and it has to be things that move your story forward. So, so perfect. So at the beginning of this montage sequence, uh, comes at the point in the film where Captain Lee discovers that his his troops are nowhere near ready for war. They're not warriors. These people have all been drafted out of families to go, to go fight. And so it's his job to train these suckers and they're just in disastrous shapes. His recruits, recruits are horrible. So he sets up this thing. He's got this long pole where he puts an arrow at the top of this very, very long telephone pole kind of thing. And it's known that the soldier that can go up and get that arrow, that's the kind of soldier it's going to take to be in his army. So it starts in this very dark, saturated color story, muted blues and grays to kind of set like a somber, sad story. It, it, visually tells you that Mulan is an outsider to this group so they show you in very succinct shots that Mulan is visually separated from the group the boys are teasing her in every shot she is visually placed at a lower level in the frame opposed to everybody else so that you visually see that they feel that they are above her she feels like she is below them and we're just getting that without being spoon-fed we're getting that visually and even though across this montage sequence Everyone in the recruit class is failing. They focus, because she's the main character, they focus on her reactions and feelings for this because we have to remember that the stakes for her are very high here. If she fails, it's death to her father. So there couldn't be greater stakes here. So then we get to the point where everybody's failing. She's completely failed. And Captain Lee comes over to her and basically dismisses her. It's... Crushing. She's gonna go home. This is utter defeat for her, and she's about to give up when she walks past that pole with the arrow on top, and she just kind of gets this resolve. You know, she's not the strongest. She's a woman, right? But she's she's not the strongest. She doesn't know what to do. She can't climb it. So if she's not physically smart or physically strong enough, she has to be smart. So she uses these leather straps to create a hold around the pole, and as she's climbing it she she ascends up this pole and then our color story starts to change all of a sudden those those muted blues and grays that we started with start getting kind of orange and yellow and she literally is coming up into daybreak up into the light where you can see that she is starting i mean literally she's starting to shine the rest of the fruits recruits are coming out to watch her and we don't see her reach the top of the pole because what's really important is what Captain Lee thinks so at the moment where she's reached success the camera is on Captain Lee's tent he's alone as he walks out of his tent and all we see is the arrow thrown down into the scene in front of us so we can see what his reaction is to this because it's his approval that we need. And it's that moment where he's literally in, like, in a circle of light because he's become enlightened to the idea that Mulan can actually be a good soldier and be part of his army. And from that point forward, every shot that you see of Mulan, she is higher in the frame than the rest of the recruits or how, now lower she is bonded visually with the rest of the group it I mean every time I watch it I get chills and
0: I've watched a lot I love that like you said the framing that she she's now higher and like um as she's getting to the point where she's going to be a successful recruit the light and it's from his point of view there's so many amazing things that that film, the choices that directors do. So we're so excited um about you and your work. And also, I want because we um I want to just briefly um talk about like so we, you grew up and did you grow up in los B- Bispos, you said in California? In, yeah, uh, I'd say Central California, San Luis Obispo.
1: Okay. it's close to Pismo Beach, and we spent our summers at Cayucas Beach. Most people know it for Cal Poly.
0: Okay, great. So, so when you were a little kid, what age did you start drawing? Oh,
1: as soon as I could pick up a pencil. It's it's the only it's the only raw talent thing that I have. I mean, I'm not good at a lot of things. I'm good at uh, drawing, filmmaking, and being a mom, and that's it. That's all I got.
0: Oh, those are amazing things. Being a mom, <laughs> come on, you have three, I, three kids. Um, I, I did boys, girls. You have uh, both. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I loved it. I had like a
1: little a knack for it. I was in kindergarten, and I recall this very vividly. That the assignment that the teacher gave us was to draw a horse. So when parent-teacher conferences came around my kindergarten teacher brought my mom up to the chalkboard and she pointed at all the drawings up above the chalkboard. And she said, so you'll see all these drawings. I told the kids to draw a horse and then she came across and she's like trailing her finger across all the pictures. She stops on one that actually looks like a horse. And she's like, uh, this is not normal. So, you may want to, you might want to thank you, Marion Gregory, for calling out, (laughs) seeing something in me that you wanted to encourage. That's my kindergarten teacher.
0: What's her name? Marion Gregory. Marion Gregory. Wow. So, your horse. Um, was like a, a, a like the horse of all horses, you know? Well, it
1: would just look like a horse. You know, I mean, I don't, maybe you don't, but five-year-olds drawing a horse, it looks like a lot of scribbles with like a head and long legs. It might actually look like a horse. I didn't know that that wasn't normal, but my family was super supportive. I was really, really lucky to have people that encouraged me because that's kind of a pipe dream to be, I want to be an artist and I want to, make movies and you know that's usually pie in the sky kind of stuff
0: yes and so so you were this um young student and art just came to you was anyone else an artist in your family or it was just it was just you amber <laughs> well
1: my 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 aunt is a wonderful painter so I'd like and my mother is a great writer so I'd like to think that I tapped in Nobody is a professional artist in my family I'm
0: I am the only one, ah, and, and that is amazing. So, so then, and um, so did you go to college? You obviously, I know where you went to college, but like, you know, to get into Cal Arts, right? It's very hard to get in. So, can you tell us you're, you know, getting into the wonderful school that you went to?
1: So that's going to be the most boring story. So, I, I grew up in a place where I didn't have access to a lot of things outside of my bubble, you know, we did not have a computer. I think somebody tipped my mom off that there was an animation school started by Disney in LA. So that's the only school I applied to. And it wasn't until many years later that I I found out that that was a really prestigious school and it was hard to get into. It was the only option for me. So that's all I did. I didn't even know any better.
0: <laughs> and sometimes, you know, like, I guess ignorance is bliss, but like, I you know, And then, like, sometimes I think it's people's just destiny to do certain things, like, because it's like there's people that come on the show and you're like, out of all odds, like just li- literally all odds, like you're just like, you know, one of many people, because like you said, everybody, especially after we just watched the um, Oscar preview parties last night everyone's like, I want to make films. I want to get an Oscar. And you're like, and like, you don't know, it's like just such a hard road for anyone to make it. And here you are doing fantastic. So, um, so you got into school and like, uh, did you love the learning and everything where did you find that there was like, were you advanced or you were like right on point on where you were supposed to be in the curriculum?
1: Oh no. Everybody there is extremely talented. It's it's, an, it's amazing, it's intimidating, a thousand percent to be in a place like that where everybody has special gifts. And I was, I was a little lost, I have to say. I was super intimidated. I wasn't sure where I fit in. I was 17, so I was so young. I didn't know anyone there my age. A lot of people were in their 20s and had already been taking classes for film so I knew absolutely nothing going in there but I only stayed for one year I dropped out because I couldn't afford tuition so my time there I valued very very much it was it was a great way to get an overall view of the entertainment um, the animation entertainment process I just didn't know anything about from start, uh, start to finish what it took to make a film
0: yeah so that's interesting yeah because the school sc- colleges and especially um this this wonderful school um it, it's it's pricey even like you know because I wanted to go to AFI and it's just like so much money I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars a year and you, you may or may not get invited back so I tried to get into director's workshop for women and then like so that's how I ended up making my first film so you know so it's like but I didn't get in, like, they picked some kind of name, people with names, so, but anyhow, like, th- those goals help you to achieve other goals, so you were in school, and then, so did you, what was your first job then, coming from CalArts, did you, you know, how did you transition from there? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I kind of, I
1: would have to say that I, I have a combination of, of luck and stubbornness. And at the time, just complete naivete, (laughs) which I think I I am just a very stubborn person. There's no plan B. I have to succeed. Like even now I'm a single mom with three kids. There's no other option. There's no backup quarterback. I have to succeed and I have a passion and people can't be in this business if they have a thin skin, if they are faint of heart and if they will not just believed I mean, there's nothing I would rather do than create and I was going to make it happen no matter what so I was I was 18 and I dropped out of school and I had three jobs to pay my rent and I went (laughs) I had giant physical portfolio back in the day and I didn't know any better than to go and knock on doors at studios I didn't know that you were supposed to have an appointment
0: (laughs) I just showed up
1: with my giant portfolio asking for a job like I could not have fallen harder off the turnip truck if I tried So I would knock on these doors and say hey, do you have any jobs this month? And it'd be like no But the fifth month. I would do this at the end of every month and at the fifth month at the fifth studio it was film Roman which was at that time the house that did the Simpsons I've not ever worked on The Simpsons, but I applied for another job there. And it was the same time I talked to this producer for the fifth time. And this time he wasn't so nice to me. He actually brought me into the building and brought me into his office and sat me down and said, "Um, little girl, I don't know what you're doing here. You keep coming back here month after month and you don't have any experience. You have nothing to offer me. And I just don't know what you want me to do. And I sat and looked at him for maybe five seconds and went, Here's what you're going to do. You're going to hire me. You're going to hire me and you're going to pay me one third of the salary, the lowest paid person at this company. And that includes the janitor for three months. And if after three months I am not as good or better than everybody else here, you can fire me. But if I am, you're going to hire me and you're going to pay me like everyone else. And then I just stuck out my hand and waited for him to take it.
0: (laughs) Amber, I love that. Wait, he told you, literally told you, you have no experience. What are you doing here? And basically was trying to get you off the lot. And you just looked at him and said, you're going to hire me. Uh, Amber, I give it to you. Balls of steel. Balls of steel. Like, I mean, sometimes you just, you know, like. And you know, there you have it. Like that—that's the best story ever, ever. And and th- and he took the deal, right? <laughs> he t-
1: he shook my hand. He did, and he did pay me one third the salary of the janitor for three months. Oh, okay. and I worked my and I worked my ass off. I learned. I had a very base knowledge of things that I got from CalArch, which was invaluable. But everything that I learned, I learned from the time I was 18 all the way up to where I am now, I learned every single part of production. I made sure that I understood what a pipeline was and what everybody did. And that was my education. I, did, I had a high school diploma. I didn't have correct verbiage or language or experience or know-how. I had to absorb all of that along my way. And I loved it. I was so thrilled. This was so far out of anything that I had experienced growing up in my small town
0: loved it. Oh, well, uh, Amber, I want to, I want to do two parts with you because um, we have lots to talk about all the shows that you worked on. And especially, you know, you have a podcast coming up, you have a new series with, oh my gosh, Lisa, Lisa Kudrow. And we want to talk about your um, Annie, your nomination um, for an Annie of Asifa for Hollywood. So um, Filmedics, please come back to part two with Amber Hollinger and her amazing story. So uh, this is a cliffhanger. So join us back for part two.